Hey guys, welcome to Moms Talk Autism podcast. We are really excited today because we are bringing back the grief series that we had done for you guys before, and we're excited to re-record it for you with a little bit more information um, and after we have evolved even more than we had previously. So just as a quick little info dump, we will be doing six different episodes. We'll be touching on the five stages of grief, and then we're going to have a bonus episode at the end. We'll cover that later. So stick around. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. All right, guys. So today we're talking about the first stage of grief, which is denial. And I think by now we have quite a few episodes up um, and I have talked about how I was completely in denial about Gracie having autism. Um, So I just thought, you know, what a great episode for me to host since I was the poster child um, of denial when it came to Gracie. (laughs) Um, So what I wanted to do is give you guys um, kind of a rundown on the denial stage of grief and sort of what it looks like and why it's there. Because our brains put us in this stage of grief for a purpose. So I'm going to read an excerpt from Very Well Mind. It's a website that I really like because it talks about the stages of grief, um, but it gives it to you in layman's terms. So it's not something that is difficult to understand. So bear with me. I'm going to read this. These are not my words. We will link it in the show notes. Brittany, remind me. Um, I will try my best. Please, please. Um, (laughs) So the first stage in this theory, denial helps us minimize the overwhelming pain of loss. As we process the reality of our loss, we are also trying to survive emotional pain. It can be hard to believe that we've lost an important person in our lives or life the way that we thought it was going to appear, especially when we may have just spoken with this person who we've lost, or we may have gotten a diagnosis that we were in no way prepared for. And in an instant, our life looks like it's taking a totally different direction than we've been prepared for. Our reality has shifted completely in the moment of loss. It can take our minds some time to adjust to the new reality. We are reflecting on the experience we have shared with the person we lost, And we might find ourselves wondering how to move forward in life without this person or this life that we have imagined. This is a lot of information to explore and a lot of painful imagery to process. Denial attempts to slow this process down and take us through it one step at a time rather than risking the potential of feeling overwhelmed by all of our emotions. So that little excerpt I really liked because I think that some of us can look back at the time that we were in denial and almost feel shame about being in denial, like we're denying our children as they are in their true form. And I think that this helps you to understand that that is not the case. This is our brain's attempt to protect ourselves from every emotion that we are feeling, which if you've gone through diagnosis or you're going through diagnosis, I think that we can all, (laughs) I think that we can all admit that there are so many different emotions and thoughts and feelings that run through our brains. Um, So that said, 
I don't think that all of us on the call really went through the denial phase, which is enough, like another thing that I think that we really, really need to touch on is that um, just because there's five stages, it doesn't mean one, that you're going to go through them in order. And two, you may not go through some of the stages. So I like that we're doing this uh, series again, because I think that all four of us really went through this differently. So we can share very different perspectives on everything. Yeah. So I have all four of us on. Um, Yay. I know, <laughs> which is going to get harder and harder because it's summertime here. Um, and what I want to say is, first, I would love to know all of you. We all know I was in denial, so I don't need to pull myself um, out of you guys. Who else? <laughs> Was in denial. Me. I'm the Just other disparaging Jean, one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just Jean and I? Jean yeah. and I are the only ones. Yeah, and it definitely. I was different. not in denial with. Yeah, I was not in denial with Austin and I wasn't really with Ruby, but I went through a secondary denial stage with Ruby once we started getting close to elementary school and kindergarten. So Ooh. yeah, it can come at different stages. Spots and it's spots, not, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a different, I don't know, different kind I'll, of. I'll talk denial. about it more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll jump into it later, and then Tosh, mm-hmm. Tosh, you've been pretty open just in other episodes about how you weren't really in denial, you know, with Jack's diagnosis. Yeah, no, not. I mean, I don't want to say not at all, but not that I can really recall that um, was anything. You know, too big or lasted too long. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys know our story. And so Mm -hmm. our our denial of of the loss of something, you know, happened way before that. Um, Mm -hmm. So Jack's diagnosis didn't feel... it didn't feel too huge, you know. Perspective, right? Like it's a yeah. completely different perspective in your yeah. situation. Yeah. 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 Um, which is, I mean, you know, obviously not common at all. I'm I'm yeah. I I will definitely say that I am the um maybe the odd person out amongst this entire community because of um, you know, just just how our story started. So mm-hmm. and and that's it's not it's not normal that most people definitely go through a a phase of denial. Um, So. Right. And if anybody wants to know, Tosh has an episode that dropped last week. So you can, well, it won't be last (laughs) week, I guess, by the time we publish this one. But look a few episodes. Tosh has an episode. (laughs) Tosh has an episode. And she'll tell you her whole story. Uh, Um, So um, I think for me, you know, it, (laughs) it, we didn't really, think the word autism until Gracie's pediatrician did the screening in office. And that's like the first time autism popped into our lives. Um, mm-hmm. Jay may have thought so previously, but he'd never verbalized it to me. And um, I really held on to, it's a speech delay. I really held on to that. Mm-hmm. Like I used that over and over and over again. Gracie has a speech delay. Um because I think I really just wanted it to be a speech delay because I didn't know enough. I was petrified of what would happen, you know, with an autism diagnosis. Um, And I've, I've said it before and I don't know if I knew it then, but looking back, you know, hindsight's 2020 and knowing what I know now, four years later, five years later, um, 
I can look back and see that I was completely petrified and it had nothing to do with Gracie. It had everything to do with me and feeling like I was inadequate to handle this child that was going to have these exceptional needs. And I was very worried about being able to provide her with everything that she needed. Um, And that's just my story. And I really clung to that speech (laughs) delay (laughs) for as long as I possibly could until it became very apparent that it was something different. And even then, once we, once I started transitioning to the, this is autism, like my daughter is autistic, this is autism, I still did not talk about it publicly, um, other than our very close friends and family for months and months and months, probably close to a year before mm-hmm. I ever posted anything on social media about it. Um, Was that still denial? Maybe. Maybe it was still a little bit of denial. Like I was hoping maybe it would go away (laughs) in those in those 10 months. If I just like if I held out long enough, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Um, but I think a lot of it too is just that mama bear thing where um I live very vulnerably on social media. I share a lot of things. It's just easier for me. And um I was so protective over her that I was worried that somebody would comment the wrong thing and I would lose it. Like I just, I was very guarded and very protective and on a very tight string. (laughs) And so I knew if somebody said the wrong thing, I was very likely to come unglued. So, um, I mean, do you think too, Shannon, though, that there's like, I mean, for all of us, there's, there's such this fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And, um, I would say maybe with the exception of Jean, because Jean, you had, um, you had you were a babysitter for a, a child that was autistic, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so with the exception of Jean, you know, none of the rest of us really had Mm-mm. had any kind of um, you know special needs that was in our in our life. We didn't really know what exactly autism was, and and so that mm-hmm. just that natural um, human instinct of of just fearing what what we don't know, you know, mm-hmm. and and you know putting. I guess the cart before the horse and, and saying like, this is what my child's life is going to look like, you know, instead Mm -hmm. of just, you know, rolling into it and, and taking it day by day. Yeah. And I think too, like you see, I don't know, like, I think that you see, (laughs) like you turn on your TV and it's like Mm -hmm. the good doctor where he's a savant and he's this miraculous doctor who sees how to cure people in his brain. And, Um, Like you see that side of things or you're in a Facebook group with 30,000 moms and all you see is like doom and gloom horror. Right. So I feel like in that beginning, you don't get to see a lot of the middle ground of like what life could be like when it's not one way or the other. Right. Um, And so I think that that does lead into that. Like you just don't know. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what everyday life is going to look like. You had this, I mean, we say it in the intro to the podcast, you have this picture perfect image of what your Mm -hmm. family and what your life is going to look like. And all of a sudden that is completely changed. Um, And I think that sometimes when that happens, we immediately go to the dark side. It's like, it can't be, yeah, it can't be like, okay, our, this picture is shattered and here's our new picture and it's going to be cool. Like it may be a little bit harder. It may be a little challenging, but it's still going to be great. Like, I don't think you hit that. I think you go like off the deep end first where you're like, oh my God, we're never going to be able to do anything. We're never going to be able to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just 
And all of those Emotion. feelings at first, it's very overwhelming and it crashes over you, right? Mm-hmm. Your your family picture in your mind has been shattered. And so your brain, like you were saying, um, it protects itself with right. denial, whether whatever level that's at, mm-hmm. whether that's you know, complete denial or yeah, well, maybe, but surely it's not this and this and this. Like it can be like parts of it can be mm-hmm. you're in denial about too. Like it's mm-hmm. you know, or or like, yeah, you're probably right, but but we'll be able to figure it out. I mean, it's not gonna change everything, you know, like mm-hmm. you can you can do varying degrees of denial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or or yeah. what about the what about the um yeah, my daughter's autistic, but she's not she's not on the severe end. It's a yeah. it's a special yeah. she's, she's autistic. On, and she's, you know, she's on the low, low end of the spectrum where I mean that totally gets into another <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole <laughs> other bag of grief, <laughs> right? That's a whole yeah. other whole other thing. Well, right. Um, they want to like, justify it to make it seem like it's not as a mm-hmm. significant, you know diagnosis life-altering thing yeah 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 Yeah, but uh, but unfortunately that's done even to us you know what i mean without us you know even doing it well oh your child's autistic well are they are they severe or are they you know higher functioning or um you know without even us giving up any information about it you know so that's the unfortunate part Mm -hmm. of this world and our and our lack of just understanding everybody wants to stigmatize it yeah, they just stigmatize it by right. their own lens. Right. Yeah. yeah, we want to we want to label it. We want to be able to understand it in ways that we can, and so we want to put nice, neat little Banging labels little on box. everything. Yeah. So yeah. for me, yeah. denial was being receptive to the information. Right? It was the uh, delaying the. It was a delaying the inevitable, essentially. Right, but um, I. As you heard my story previously, then, you know, it was my, my husband that initially I called it out. And because my stepmom, who was also nannying my child, um, every day, was a pediatric nurse and she'd actually worked with, um, very like, uh, highly delicate population, um, kids that had, uh, deter, deterative, uh, conditions. So a lot of mm-hmm. like neurological mm-hmm. things, she was confident. She had, she had confidence that she was aware that, you know, that would be indicated to her boy was just a late talker. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we were at, in Baltimore, we were at Hopkins, the, the, we had, that pediatrician affirmed what I wanted to hear. Not, I felt satisfied. My husband felt not so satisfied, um, in our visits there, even though he felt a certain way, he also wasn't willing to take the extra steps to spend time convincing anyone. Um, mm. and then when we moved here and, I still was convinced he was a late talker. And then when he got that speech delay diagnosis, kind of like you too, Shannon, was that, okay, it's a speech delay. And then I'm like, they're, they're, they're suggesting OT. And I'm like, okay, so it's speech delay with sensory processing disorder. And I was kind of, I was clung to that combination and saying that I know what autism looks like. My son is not autistic, right? That's how mm-hmm. even like, internal arrogance there, you know, ego is playing a part in my 
with lack of reception to what was actually going on and what was, what was at hand, what I was facing. And, um, it's really important to gauge a parent's receptiveness, um, and delivering the information so that you can make sure that it can be delivered. If it is crucial, I know a lot of, I've heard a lot of educators I hear, and I talk to a lot of medical professionals. It's like, well, it's, we feel the parents are resistant or they're just not willing to receive the child's diagnosis. Um, you got to do a better job of, of getting them there and, and just recognizing that it is going to be hard for them because they didn't know they, the, you know, when people know in utero that their child may have a certain condition, there's a different level of preparation for you that takes place still grief. You still process grief. It's not the same because this is happening and you know, so your wheels change, you know, that, and then you, but I had been going along the path of like, well, I have this neurotypical child and we're going to do all of the, you know, typical things that all other families do and everything that I envisioned again, going back to that vision you become more attached as time goes on, you become more attached to this vision of what you really would like life to look like, or what you think life is going to look Mm -hmm. like with your child. Are you at the kind of parent you're going to be? And you have, you're going to end up, I knew, I knew in my gut, part of the biggest issue that that I was having with it. I knew that this was going to, I was going to have to sacrifice more to help my child. I don't know that I had fear of doing that. The fear I maybe had was the fear of losing myself and fear of losing, doing other things that I loved and having the life that I had imagined for myself as a mom and as a family. I didn't necessarily, I wasn't scared. The the, the denial, the fear for me, fear was not built into the denial piece. Fear is built into other parts of the grief for me, but not inside of the denial. It was like not of like of the diagnosis. It was mm-hmm. like my child. Like what it was, I knew it was going to require me giving up even more. And that may sound selfish, but I just wanted to be able to do the parent and be the you know to be a mom and still do all the things. And I knew mm-hmm. that that landscape was completely changed. I, I knew it. I knew, and I knew that we were going to have a different kind of hard. I knew my son's mm-hmm. life was going to be harder. I kn- I knew our family's life was going to be harder because of, of these things. I didn't know exactly all the ways, but I certainly, that was me putting that off, accepting that that's the truth. Um, so that's how it really showed up for me. But then mm-hmm. once I got it, like once, you know, my neurologist delivered that when it, the firm diagnosis came, I was all on board. It was the lack of reception I had leading up to that point. So it starts mm-hmm. with that 12 month mark when Brad indicated that. And then that whole year prior to diagnosis and multiple conversations with family um, other conversations with my husband, um, and then our 
uh, doing the initial assessments, um, I was, I definitely was becoming unhinged and unclued even in those moments. <laughs> so I can mm. relate to that too. Mm-hmm. That like the fear of like, I'm protecting myself because I'm protecting other people because if somebody says the wrong thing, I'm going to maybe rip your face off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and a lot of that too comes with all of the emotions that you're dealing with, right? Where it's just like your string is so much shorter. Your temper is so much shorter because you're so just in the mess of all the feelings. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Brittany, I'm super intrigued now. I want to know, <laughs> I want to know about, about Ruby and what, what you met when you said it sort of showed up for you there. Oh, Oh wait, I, you're I am you not, go. I had to mute myself for a second. I'm <laughs> to go check on a child and then I forgot to unmute myself. So I just said like two sentences without any sound. So let me say it again. <laughs> and I might have to like jump off halfway through um, the podcast. I apologize to the listeners, but um, Austin's home today and no one else is. And we are just rolling with it. This is important and I'm here and we're going to make it happen, everybody. Okay. We're winging That's it. Right. Let's go. So, all right. Um, so I'll, I'll start with Austin and then I'll make my way to Ruby. Um, so with Austin diagnosis, um, I think I've mentioned this before, but because the um, his sensory behaviors and his lack of um, interaction with the world around him was so severe, I would say, or so acute. Um, it was very obvious to Doug and I, especially to me, that there was something significantly uh, wrong is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like there was something off. Going on. Yeah. Yeah. There was something going on and it was more than speech. Cause I think we all kind of start with speech because a communication piece is usually what is lacking, which kind of sets off red flags for most people. Um, and, and having a diagnosis in a way was a relief because it gave us a name and mm-hmm. it gave us a place to start and a place to go. So, um, and I felt like I could do something then I had action and that is what I really need in my life. We've talked about how my productivity and my worth are intertwined, right? Like (laughs) I need to do something in order to feel like I'm contributing to society or whatever, or (laughs) contributing to my child's happiness and growth. So I had things to do with an autism diagnosis. So um, the denial part wasn't really there at at the beginning. And once, once we started going through all the therapies and all the things and working, you know, may- maybe even a year later. Um, and, and, and I'm doing everything I can, right? I've turned my life completely upside down and our world is autism. Our world is therapy. It's everything res- revolves around it. Uh, and, you know, we're not seeing a ton of growth maybe, mm. And then you start kind of backpedaling into some of these stages of grief or some of this denial. And you're like, well, well wait a minute. I, I did all the things. I did everything. Mm-hmm. What What's happening here? Maybe, maybe this isn't right. Maybe, you know, and you kind of, you kind of can spiral down that way. Um, uh, so that, that was kind of how it went with Austin. And then you work through it again. And, and that's something I think that it's good to bring up and, um, 
I don't know if Jean said this already, so sorry if I'm repeating her, but but it's not a linear thing, right? Uh, grief and, and even yeah. denial, even a certain stage, is it's not a linear thing. And, and you're going to revisit it over and over and over again in varying degrees of, you know, strength of, of that denial or that anger or these, those other stages we'll talk about later. It can happen. Um, with Ruby, um, I was looking for the signs. I was ready. I've talked about how when we, we decided to have our fourth child, there was a gap and I needed to be in a mentally acceptable state where if if we did get another child with a diagnosis, I was going to be okay with that. Like, like emotionally, mentally, you know, all the things. And so um, I got to that stage. We got pregnant a while later. We had Ruby. She's the most adorable, squishiest, (laughs) you know, cutest little baby ever. We loved on her. Everyone loved her so much. We still love her so much. And, um, and I started noticing some, some speech delay, you know, and Tyler also, I, I don't know if I've mentioned, but my third had a little bit of a speech delay. It was more of a, um, I'm going to get the technical terms wrong, but it was more of like a, uh, a lisp and some like, Art- what's like an impediment. So he had an articulation yes. disorder. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Articulation. Mm-hmm. So we had some articulation stuff with Tyler that we worked through. Um, he's doing fabulous now. Um, Doug also did as a, as a child, he, he did a little bit of speech therapy for some articulation stuff. Uh, so I was kind of looking at it at that, that approach because her, Ruby at a year old was not the same as Austin as a year old. Mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't dealing with the exact same thing. Um, and not that, you know, every child is the same or anything like that, but I knew we weren't at maybe the, the level that Austin is. And so I, um, I, I approached it with the speech in mind, um, thinking, okay, we're going to do the speech thing. And as things continued on, we saw more and more behaviors um, that presented itself to me as as closer to autism. And I was willing to get a diagnosis. I didn't have any problem getting a diagnosis for her because diagnosis means services. Mm-hmm. At least where I live, that's how it works. So um, my advice to a lot of parents is if you think your child is maybe, quote, on the fence or, you know, maybe will barely qualify or you're just worried about the stigma, I always say, go for it. Get that diagnosis because it gives mm-hmm. you the power to to then have services offered to you and then you can say yes or no. It mm-hmm. gives you choices instead of the other way around where maybe you don't have a diagnosis or you don't you're not sure if you really want one, but then you can't get any help from your insurance or, you know, not any help, but, but more help from insurance or the school or therapists or doctors and things like that. So, um, I was totally willing to get that autism diagnosis, whether or not I believed she was autistic, um, truly in my heart, because I knew it meant we could get her the help we needed and I could choose whether I thought we should do this therapy or that therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we continued on, and this keeps happening with Ruby, is I think, yeah, you know, maybe she'll qualify. Maybe this is appropriate. But you know what? We're gonna we're gonna test for it. I think it's a good idea. I don't think she's gonna qualify for it, but I wanna I wanna do it. It's always better to to double check first, right? So we go in, we do the test, 
And the doctor or the therapist or the teacher will come back and say, yeah, she's pretty delayed in this and this and this and this area. And I'm just like, what? She (laughs) is? Like, like, what are you talking about? Like, I thought this area was fine. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, Mm -hmm. this is news to me. And this keeps happening. Um, And so that's where my denial kind of, it's not a full denial of autism. It's not a full denial of she needs help. She needs extra support. It's a denial of where I guess maybe. Right. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Where her baseline is, I perceive her baseline as as higher than than where she is testing, and that's not necessarily be a, a flaw on Ruby or or me. There's certainly maybe some flaws in the testing. That's a whole other <laughs> <That's an> episode. <laughs> episode we can talk about. Um, but it is manifesting itself on paper, black and white, ones and zeros, as is more, quote, severe than I am seeing, you know, day, mm-hmm. in day-to-day life mm-hmm. um, as far as like academics go, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there is a level of me like ex- working through the stages of grief um, and and trying to figure that out. So when it was preschool time, we did the early intervention program for in here in California, that's zero, wherever diagnosis is from zero to three years. Once you hit your third birthday, you are then transferred over into the school system. And I think that's the case for Typical. almost mm-hmm. all, yeah. all the states in, in the yeah. U.S. at least. Um, so we got to age three and you do a whole round of testing um, and we're just trying to establish a baseline, right, for the school to kind of take over. And um, I um, we got her into a integrated preschool program from ages three to five where roughly half the kids have some kind of developmental delay. It doesn't have to be autism necessarily. And then the other half are neurotypical kids and they have a preschool with both, you know, Mm -hmm. these kids working together and intermingling. And I loved it. It was amazing, wonderful. I felt like Ruby kind of held her own and was really um, keeping up with the neurotypical kids, but she was also there, you know, if they had extra support, if she needed it, she got to see some other kids that she was most likely going to be in other classes with in the future with the, um, you know, autism program. And it it was great. Um, Well, now it's time to reevaluate again, because we're going to be going into kindergarten. She's five. And I thought, okay, you know, this, this is me planning ahead. Cause I'm a planner. I got my <laughs> list and I've got my things and I'm, I've, I'm, I'm making this picture in my head. I'm, I'm painting this picture in my mind of how this is going to go. And she's going to test and she's going to be a little low in some of these areas, but it's going to be fine because she's going to qualify. They're going to want her to go into a typical, um, kindergarten classroom, a gen ed classroom, and we're going to get her an aid. And that aid's just going to support her in those subjects in those areas that she needs it. And she's going to be in a typical class and because she's doing so awesome in this preschool. And I went to the IEP meeting ready for this to happen. Um, and in my mind, I was thinking they're not going to want to put her in a special ed class because that's more money for the school district. And school districts are all about the bottom line. We all are. Every Everything is, right? That's a whole nother subject again, another episode. (laughs) Um, They're going to want to keep her in a gen ed class. Uh, That was not the case. Uh, They, uh, the teacher, everyone on that table except for me was like, she needs to be in our special education program. And I was in complete shock. I was not expecting it. Um, I walked away from that meeting saying, thank you very much for this information. 
I will be reviewing it with my husband and I will get back to you. I did not sign anything then and I would never recommend signing, signing anything immediately. Um, always take that time to read over everything and process it before you, you know, legally sign any uh, documents. So um, went home and I, and I had to work through my, my denial of that. Um, it did not happen overnight. It did not happen. Some parts were quick and other parts were not, but I had to grieve the loss of having my child be in a general education classroom and what I pictured her, her, the beginning of her schooling to be like. Mm -hmm. Um, and every year since I have continued to have, have to do that in some form or another. Ruby's in second grade now. And, um, her, uh, she had a triannual, which is every three three years we do mm-hmm. even more comprehensive testing, mm-hmm. as opposed to on the off years you kind of do more of the standard um, tests and just kind of check check on evaluations in progress. And so they did the full gamut this last year um, of second grade, and um, I really thought she would have scored a lot higher on some of those things. And she, she's really quite low in, in many of the academic areas. Um, I was, I was surprised and it wasn't necessarily denial this time. Um, I think I'm getting better at at maybe, uh, not lowering my expectations, but, but not letting myself have expectations, maybe like keeping my mind more open and just mm-hmm. waiting before Rolling I start mm-hmm. start letting my my mind like think about how this is all going to go and planning planning ahead too far and I um I I've had to I, I my my initial as we continued on with the IEP through the meeting I just I just felt very very sad I just mm-hmm. I I felt um maybe defeated or just I just felt really sad. I was grieving. I was grieving mm-hmm. that once again I'm here and I've set my bar too high. I, I mm-hmm. I'm I'm expecting things to go this way and they're just not. And um and and she is where she is and that's okay. And and maybe I, I still think that she's she's maybe testing lower than she actually is a, is you know able to do and. Mm-hmm. There are teachers and people who agree with me, and that's fine. We'll figure that out. That's why it's called an individual education plan. Like we'll we'll set it where she needs it to be, regardless of what the numbers are. But it's um, it's it's hard to see that. Who wants to hear that their child isn't doing well? You know? Yeah. yeah. Who yeah. wants to see, you know, ten percent, twenty percent of, of yeah. where they should be? I will. Say, you know, mm-hmm. in in the. T- in the twentieth percentile of this and right. this and that, it's hard. I will say that those aren't all; those tests aren't aren't accurate accurate either. And the way that they no. gather the information isn't that those aren't. And I'm fully aware. Yeah, of that. I, I'm yeah. fully aware. I, right, I, but, but it's, I had to do. I felt that that kindergarten year, I felt the same exact way. They did try to convince me. They made a predetermination. Well, that was another thing. They went in that room and they made that predetermination and they did not include you in that decision. They they said to you, uh, we think she needs to be in special education and you have to be like, I don't necessarily agree with that. And no one asked me about that before we went into that conversation. I'm saying that as an example of parents knowing that that exact same situation happened to me. And I was like, wait a minute. 
I wasn't the, I don't even know what, what you're talking about. Like he's been in gen ed inclusion. Why can't we do gen ed inclusion now? What's the change? What's the difference? Right. I don't want my kid mm-hmm. in a self-contained class. Um, and right. so that was the part of the fight that I picked with them. And I was like, and who are you to make just that assessment based on this criteria? And because I was going to be removing him to go to therapy as well. So that also played into that. They were like, oh, well, just to make it more, it was almost like more cush. Like, why Why would we put him in the general education center setting when he's not going to be here all day? I, I'm telling you, that's exactly what they were thinking. And I was like, that's not the point. <laughs> it's not the point. The whole point is, is that he still is going to, so he would still be exposed. And so it is grief strike. And they don't realize how much grief that puts on us that you're now denied you're you may now justified what you've done by maybe generating that data but is that data correct and in that addition like if lisa was on here she would have said i would like another independent full independent evaluation to look at that information to see if that Mm -hmm. is true or not Mm -hmm. um these are all the things that we don't know when we have these initial kinds of arts right and with for our kids or arts or IEP meetings, we don't know that, right? So like, there it is. And then you're sitting here questioning, wait, is it, am I in denial about where my kid is? And right. I, so the other thing is, right. is that I leaned yep. into our private therapy that we had. And I said, well, here's what private therapy is showing. And here's what you're showing. And there's disparities in this data. So either someone's got it right, or somebody's got it wrong. And I don't know what the answer is, but what you just proposed is not that, right? do you like that my little my little eight yeah and it it's it's very complicated and and yeah you throw in your emotion versus what data is showing you versus what teachers are showing you and teachers care we've had really caring loving teachers but it's not the same um versus what's best for the school district versus what's available for the school district and it's it's so multifaceted in so many mm-hmm. layers right mm-hmm. in the end it has been for the best for us i we were able to reevaluate the data we looked at everything we went and viewed classrooms we went and checked it all out and we decided to go with what they were suggesting and it has been the best fit um but i had to work through that i had to to get to yeah. the point where i was like okay like, let's give this a try. And um, in my case, it has worked out for the best. Not always for everybody, though. So, so yeah, that's my story of denial. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's we'll switch we'll switch gears a tiny bit then, and we'll talk we'll talk Tosh. Let's talk Tosh. Tosh, Tosh, talk. Tosh, I always talk. like to talk Tosh. Um, yeah, I, I will say I am similar to Brittany in the sense of um, just kind of the the denial of. Uh, where you where I thought like Jack would be in in context of when he was transitioning from um, the integrated preschool into his elementary school. Um, but as, as far as his diagnosis as a whole, um, you know, I I wasn't in denial. At, I don't I don't think hardly at all. Um, you know, I, I felt like from an er, from early on we were. Um, it was one trauma after another in, in the sense of, uh, you know, our pregnancy with the boys and to, um, you know, finding out that, that they were high risk. It it just, it just, everything was continually snowballing to, to losing Jameson. Um, so, so when it came to Jack and his milestones, um, as a baby and a toddler, it was, 
it was just apparent to me, I feel like. Um, and, and so when we started going down the, the path and, and started on the journey of, of talking about, you know, the possibility of, of autism, it, it just, there, it was no surprise, you know, at that point when we actually, when we actually that the word came into to play, you know, um, Jack had already been tested, had already had a speech um, test done, and he'd already been, you know, uh, evaluated by a psychologist. Um, and we knew, we knew that there was, you know, that there was a speech delay. We knew that there was some occupational stuff. Um, Jack had already been in the uh, early intervention program because of being a you know, being a preemie, um, the the thing that was that I think caught, kind of caught us off guard or caught us up a little bit was that um, the early intervention program tested him out of of it. They said no, he doesn't need to be in, you know, continue into the school district on on this. Mm. So, wow, I didn't know. You that. know that that's where that's where that threw us off a little bit. But I still just I still just knew. You know, at that point. Um, Jack was, he was talking, but it was, everything was echolalia, echolalia and scripting. Um, and, and although I didn't know a lot about autism, it, you know, it, I, it was just, there was something there, there was that mother's intuition, that gut feeling that there was just something. So, um, you know, when it finally came down to us getting, the diagnosis, we were more just, and I think Tyler talks about this in his episode too. We, we were, we were prepared for it. We were ready. We, we were sure that that's what it was going to be. And if it wasn't, then great. But we knew, we, we kind of just knew it was going to be, um, an autism diagnosis. So, um, I, I would say that Tyler was a little bit more in, in denial early on only because of, you know, the outside influences, you know, everybody's, oh, they're just a, it's just, he's just a boy and, oh, he's just this Mm -hmm. and, oh, he'll grow out of it. And, 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 you know, all, all of the outside influences having something to say. Um, so, you know, that, that was hard for, I would say for Tyler when, um, the day that we went and sat down with Jack's pediatrician, um, and, and again, and that word, the word autism and, and, um, you know, evaluation, all that came into play. Tyler, he, he struggled a little bit, you know? Um, but he's, he's fireman. He bounces back quick and he gets into (laughs) Brittany mode and he's ready to, let's go do it. He's ready to take charge. And, um, yeah. So, you know, so when we did get that, that diagnosis from OHSU, we were, we were already doing the things, you know, Jack was already enrolled into, um, occupational and speech therapy outside of the school district. And then he was already enrolled into the, um, or like the, the, uh, integration program, the special needs integration program, uh, in the Camas school district. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I've even since then, you know, over the last four years, I don't know that I've, I don't know that I've been in denial except for, like again, like Brittany, you know, you saying not recognizing that it's as his his needs are as much as I thought that they were not, yeah. you know, um, and and that's every school year that's come, um, you know, back 
every yeah. every time um, to now the point you know where Jack is going to be graduating second grade here this year. I um, I'm sitting in it more comfortably, but it still is it's a hard pill to swallow, you know. Um, and there's a big it, jump between second and third grade, um, like just academic wise. It's you know I. <laughs> I it's thought a big that jump. about I thought that about um first to second grade, you know, and and who knows, maybe because we were Hang in the Hang on, buddy of, then. Yeah. A, it's a, a pandemic lot. and it was like what's happening, you know, when we were doing the online schooling and all that. Um but it was like, wow, the, these kids, you know, going from um you know, from first to second grade, they're they're doing stuff that I don't even recall doing at that age. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's trying to be okay with that. It's trying to be like justifying it a little bit, but at the same time, you know, being, being sad, you know, being, being sad that, yeah, yeah, that, that this is where our children are, you know? Um, Every time we go through these testings, I go yeah. through a little mini five stages of grief yeah. session and, with and, myself. And, and you know, I, yeah. I I do want to be very clear to our audience that this is not that we don't accept. I I don't accept Jack, and and I don't Correct. love him for where he's at. And he is an intelligent little boy, and he is, you know, um, advanced. You know, in some areas, or um, you know, doesn't have as high needs in some areas. And uh, but it's still hard. You know, it, it still goes back to you know, like what we're all saying, you have such this picture when you, before you become a mom and, and, and the early stages of being a mom and, and that changes, you know, um, dramatically and it, and it, and it's, it's hard. It's, it's, this is natural. This is, this is what God gives us to learn how to, um, to handle situations, you know, the, the grief, the grief, yeah. Um, process. Hey, Shannon, so, can I read something um, about that? That's a really good segue, Tosh, if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, so denial is the first of the five stages of grief, right? It helps us survive the loss of whatever it is, whether that's a person or a life that we're picturing for ourselves or whatever, right? Um, a, our world can become meaningless and overwhelming. Life mm-hmm. can make no sense. We can be in a state of shock and denial. We go numb. We wonder how we can go on, if we can go on, why we should go on. We try to find a way to simply get through each day. Denial and shock help us cope and make survival possible. Denial helps us to pace our feelings of grief. And I love that. It's It helps us pace ourselves. Yeah. It's a way yeah. to like slow down and process, right? Mm -hmm. There is a grace in denial. It's a nature's way of letting in only as much as we can handle. As you accept the reality of the loss and start to ask yourself questions, you are unknowingly beginning the healing process. You are becoming stronger and the denial is beginning to fade. But as you proceed, all the feelings you were denying begin to surface. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, heading into the next stage, obviously. But mm-hmm. I just liked how it talked about pacing. And that's just, yeah. I don't want anyone to feel guilty if you felt denial. And we've touched mm-hmm. on that a little bit. Like, it's very natural, just like you just said, Tosh. Like, it's a way to protect yourself and to pace yourself. And and we have to do that. And that's okay. Yeah, especially yeah. as yeah. you have created more endurance as time has gone on on this journey. Yeah. And because your mm-hmm. capacities have to fluctuate based on, you know, how we are responding to our kids or whatever it is that we're trying to work through or push through. Um, I will say 
that it's also important to recognize when your denial that you have is unhealthy because it could be hurting yes. the child. Yeah. Um, because there are many families out there that, you know, don't have not accepted their child's diagnosis. They don't talk about it even on a open way and like within healthy family unit. Um, right. You know, and I'm not talking about like publicly, like literally within their family, unit, they're not talking about it or, you know, they're not that their child is requiring medication and they're just, and it's becoming a total disservice to that child and their, their, their autonomy and their own personal livelihood. Um, there is a lot of self-reflection. I, it's almost like it's this, it's like a volume button <laughs> denial is sometimes mm-hmm. it's turned all the way up. Sometimes it feels like we don't even know subconsciously because our body is doing it naturally to again, pace ourselves that we may not, you know, it's, it's, is the, it's a, is a volume turned way up on that, on that one, or is it, just running in the background a little bit here um, and make sure that it's not totally driving the place of where you're operating from. I think, I think again, grief is a beautiful thing. Grief is the cost of love, of any kind of love. Love. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And um, Mm -hmm. I think that you just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of growth that, gets to take place in you often it's almost again so it's kind of scary scared of that growth scared of yourself the fear of you changing yourself um not necessarily what's happening around you um it's kind of a projection saying that's kind of like a projection of really that what the real fear is but anyway i digress yeah and i think (laughs) and i think too we can all agree that like even in the like deepest parts of the denial like I still loved Gracie more than life, oh, right? Absolutely. So it's, it's oh, yeah. never 100%. an issue. Yeah, yeah, it's it's never an issue with them. You know, it's yeah. it's us protecting ourselves and coming to grips with it. Yeah. So we are going to wrap up for two reasons. One, I, Austin needs his mommy. Two, <laughs> children need to be picked up from school. I can hear like school. things <laughs> crashing on the ground downstairs. <laughs> like nothing's yeah. breaking, but I hear a lot of yeah. noises. <laughs> yeah. So, so Britt, you you mute. You go check on him real fast. Um, All right. And you guys. So the next um, the next episode that we'll be dropping on this one will be the second phase of grief, which is anger. So um, keep your eyeballs peeled for that. Don't forget to get on wherever you listen to our podcasts. And if you wouldn't mind dropping us a rating, we would truly, truly appreciate the few minutes that it takes for you to do that. It just helps us reach other mamas. And that's all we want is to reach more parents who are going through the life that we are going through. So we hope you are having a wonderful day and we can't wait to see you next week. Say bye, ladies. Love you. Love you lot. Bye. Bye.